Try to include parents whenever you can. So, uh, got a lot of visitors today. Probably here for uh, ring celebrations, parents' weekend. Um, glad you're here. Got to see several of you. Some of the old faces uh, back when we were in AFC together or attending this church together. That's always just a, a sweet thing to be reunited with people who you worshiped with before. That's, that's just inspirational and encouraging. So, thank you for being here. Um, I want to show you a picture from last week. So if you were here last week, you knew that we talked about bloody knuckles in some regards, at least. We talked about asking. This is from the Matthew passage, Matthew 7. Asking until your voice is hoarse, laryngitis, seeking until your eyes are weepy or red from seeking God, or knocking until your knuckles are bloody. That's all about the pleading and the surrendering. And um, it's been a week since we met together uh, like this. And so um, we just wanted to remind everybody that whenever we see something in Scripture, not that you saw the bloody knuckles, it's just an image, clearly. But whenever we're giving, given something in Scripture, that we're asked to do something with it. And so I hope that there's a lot of bloody knuckles out there pleading on the behalf of people, uh, groups, individuals, our country, whoever it is, whatever it is that you are praying for. I just pray that you just continue doing. It's just your legacy in the wake. Remember of your life, you're leaving that wake that is a wake full of people go, I'll tell you one thing about that man or woman. She or he prayed. That would be a great legacy. This week, something a little different. So summer, uh, 1985. I know some of that is, uh, that year is before a lot of you were born, but Several of us can remember back that far. It was the summer, June. I was standing on a sunny afternoon in my parents' kitchen in Dangerfield, Texas. I'd graduated in June after five years at Harding with a Bible degree in history, Bible and history. And I was standing there in that kitchen sort of at a crossroads. So about my senior year, that would have been the fourth year, I was a fifth year senior when I graduated, but in my fourth year, I think my dad got to, uh, came to the conclusion that I was maybe a little bit, uh, there was some vagueness about what was going to happen after I graduated. So he suggested to me that I should start taking courses to certify to teach, and he recommended elementary education. And I was thinking, okay, I mean, I, honestly, I did Bible and history because I like the Bible and I like history. I like reading. Didn't put a lot of thought into actual a career with it. I chose to go the route of majoring in something I enjoyed, hoping that eventually things would fall into place. Nevertheless, my dad thought things weren't falling into place, and he was a wise man. He said, you need to maybe start enrolling in some other courses. And my last semester of my fifth year, I only had to take one history course to complete the degree plan. So I had this space in my schedule for classes. I took uh, science in elementary school, I think it was math in elementary school, some juvenile literature course, all uh, in preparation for the possibility that I might teach. I graduate, I'm standing in the kitchen, go back to the kitchen, sunny day, Dangerfield, Texas, I don't remember my mom around. I'm sure she was there, but my dad was there. And we were having just a, sort of this conversation. We'd already talked about what was next. And clearly, I did not, I'm going to tell you, I did not know. No clue. 
I get a call from my uncle, his name's Mike, from Nashville, Tennessee. He was, at the time, in 1985, an area regional, I don't ever, a big director, administrator for UPS. I suspect that the call was not by accident. <clears throat> but I get this call, and he says to me, Hey, Brian, I've got a job for you. If you want to come to Nashville, you can be management. I'm sure it was really low management of UPS. <clears throat> I don't remember the course of the conversation. I thanked him for the offer. We talked with some pleasantries. Um, had not seen him in a while. Um, he was a, a favorite uncle, although we did not see him often. Finished the conversation. <clears throat> and I remember not too much time had passed before my dad was looking at me with sort of that, you know, drilling holes in, you're going to have to make a decision. The only other option I had in my mind <clears throat> was forged in my mind earlier in my years at Harding because, and some of you know this, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I really think that it was a uh, the providence of God that led me to a summer camp in the summer of 1983 that I met many people who were from the AFC. Later on, after the summer was over, me and another student at Harding decided to drive down to College Station. We actually stayed at the Walker's house, Bob and Joanne Walker, on Holly Lane Street, whatever, in Bryan, because we had met Sid, Bill, <clears throat> and Becky Walker at camp in the summer of 1983. And while I was here, I thought, I, I had no, no concept of A&M, zero My parents, though, because they had been in Mississippi but were now in Dangerfield, had established residency. And so standing in that kitchen, I had conjured up my mind, you know, I'd started these elementary courses. Perhaps I like being a student just fine and delaying what's ever coming after. I could go down to A&M, enroll in other courses to certify to teach. Now, at the time, if you're an older person in the field of education, you know, there weren't that many ways to certify to teach at the time. There was really run route. I had to complete the coursework, get a degree, et cetera, et cetera. Take an exit exam, I think. <clears throat> so I was standing there, and it was Nashville and UPS, College Station, enroll in more classes. And I would like to tell you that, you know, there was a bright light. No. There was my dad's beady eyes staring at me. <laughs> but I was, it was sort of time. You need to decide. It's summer. You're out of school. There's nothing in Dangerfield. Have you been to Dangerfield? There's nothing in Dangerfield. So I sat there and I said, I'm going to enroll in classes. Much of what has happened to me or transpired since that decision on that June day, clearly, um, much of that's happened is all because of that decision. And rolled, came down here. There's other stories around there about Dr. McCrady coming up to me, other people finding a roommate and a place to live with David Allen on a chance that one Wednesday night I was down here. <clears throat> I'm not saying that the UPS might not have worked because God could have used me in Nashville, hopefully, I hope. But that was the route I took. I was at this crossroads. I had two choices. About the same time that I was in school, I began to enjoy reading. Now, I love reading now. Um... 
I love it. But at the time, in college, in, in high school, no. I didn't care about reading, really. But a book, one of the books that I thought, I think, looking back, really hooked me on reading was this one. It's uh, Blue Highways by William Least Heat Moon. Now, it's a travel log. William Least Heat Moon wrote Blue Highways, titled Blue Highways, because in his map, the state, smaller highways were in blue. He was coming off of the door of divorce and sort of a midlife crisis and took to the road, bought a Chevy van, converted it, emptied it back out, and made a, had put a bed down there, a place where he could live. He'd pull into these little town squares or parking lots all across Texas. He circled almost all oh, huge. If you could outline the whole outline of the United States, the, almost the largest circle you could make, that was his route. He would just stay in this van, and he tells stories <clears throat> about his travels. I love this book. This picture makes me think about Blue Highways. Great road right here. There was another book that I've read mostly, but I got sick of it after a while. A book I didn't like as much, but it was about roads. I like Larry McMurtry, but he wrote a book called Roads. And what he did was he traveled interstates and wrote stories about books and other things that came to his mind while he was traveling, just interstates. His idea was, I want to get on these big highways and byways that can travel, make me go all across the United States quickly. You might recognize this. This is between Austin and San Antonio on 35, a terrible road to drive. <laughs> he actually talks about Interstate 35 in quite disparaging terms. This is what I think about when I think about the roads, the broad, big highways where there's a bunch of people. And the other picture where there's not very many people. In fact, in my picture, there's nobody on the road. If you'll turn in your Bible, we'll have it on the screen, Matthew 7. So we're at the passage now, verse 12 through 14. And if I'm working it right, I'll come back to my kitchen and to the roads when we get to the end today. We're going to read Matthew 7, um, 12 through 14. I have it on the screen. I'm going to read it off the screen. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You thought you had to read the whole New Testament. No, you just do this verse. Not really. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <clears throat> Martin Luther said and wrote that he thought the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was this. It's impossible to do. <laughs> you couldn't possibly put this into practice. And that God's, Jesus' purpose of saying it and having the recorded version of it is for us to come to the conclusion that the standard and bar is way too high. We can't do it. The only option now is to throw ourselves on the throne of grace. So Luther would say, don't mess with the specifics. You can't do it. Randy Harris wrote a book called Living Jesus. In it, he says, 
that in actuality, and I would think that's the case because Jesus actually says, in a minute you'll see a passage where he says we, he wants us to practice it, but he says in actuality, the whole Sermon on the Mount takes a totally different uh, personality. If before you read it, you say to yourself, this is the life Jesus intended for me to live. And then read it. Takes on a whole different sort of flavor. So Jesus did, in fact, ask us to practice what he preached. And he admits that it's a difficult way. You'll see two ways. Two roads, two gates. In the passage right after this, you'll see two trees. One good fruit, one bad fruit. Two ways to build a house. One that can withstand the winds and one that cannot. And this choice, this either this way or that way, is not new language. Look here. Deuteronomy See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way that I command you today by following the other gods which you have not known. Jeremiah. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I'm setting before you the way of life, one way, and the way of death, another way. The Deuteronomy passage again, going back to the later portion of Deuteronomy chapter 30, maybe. Boom. See, I set before you today life and prosperity. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You'll not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. So it seems like this pattern of you have two ways, one's life, one's death, is an Old and New Testament pattern. In fact, if you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount thinking about two ways, you'll see it all through the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that this is the way you do this, but no, there's this way. You've heard it said this way, but I tell you this way. It's a common refrain when you're looking for it. Now, one of the things that's a little bit hard is the actual carrying out of what he wants us to do. But again, I think he wants us to do it. And one of the things I sometimes think about when I read this, it's me, maybe you don't feel this way, is I read the broad and narrow thing and the gate thing, and I think to myself privately, I wonder if I'm on that narrow, on that narrow way. I mean, I want to be. Maybe you never think that, but I do. But how can we tell? What is it that this life that Jesus calls us to, what is it like? So what I've done 
is I've taken the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see it on the screen, and I've taken portions. I've just taken sort of declarative statements about what it is he wants us to do. You got questions about what the narrow way is like? We already acknowledge it's difficult. But let's go back and see, through the Sermon on the Mount, what he actually is asking you to do. And remember, just like with the bloody knuckles, if you see a passage and you read a passage, you have to do something with the passage. Reading it and thinking, oh, that's a really good sermon. I wish Jesus would have thrown in some more jokes is not the conclusion. It's what are you going to do with the actual instructions. So here it is. I'm going to read it. These are statements from the Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Remember, we're listening to this and reading this. Is What am I supposed to do? So he's asked me to choose a way. There is the life way, the death way. One way goes with me, one way doesn't. What does the life with him look like? And if you're on that way, and you're asking, I wonder if I'm on that way, then you read this and go, is that me? You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Whoever practices these commands that I give you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to practice them. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know why that bothers me? Because the Pharisees thought they were on the narrow way. I guarantee it. They would have thought, I'm on. Clearly, some of the people who think they're on aren't on. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be a danger of the fire of hell. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within her heart, within his heart. Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for God's throne or by the earth, for it is his footstool. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That's what narrow way people look like. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Do not keep babbling like pagans. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You can't serve God in money. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Do not worry about tomorrow. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Take the plank out of your own eye. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In that, and others I did not include, you've got <clears throat> relationships, you've got anger, anger. You got money and treasure. You got worrying not to worry about what's going to come today or tomorrow or how are you going to take care of yourself. 
and a whole host of other things. Purpose, salt and light. And then Jesus gets all of that done. And then he comes to the 13 and the 14. And he says, make a choice. You've heard all that I've had to say here today. There's two ways you can go with what I've told you. It's time to make a decision. Now, one of the statements in here, I want to give you a little bit of a side note and tell you how in practice I fail with it. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. A good sum up. I would think when I'm angry with someone, what would I, how would I want them to treat me? If someone sees me as an enemy, I wonder how I would want them to treat me. In all these relationships that he talks about, how, how would I want them to treat me? But you know what I do? I change it. So when everything do to others what you would have them do to you, I change to, so when everything I do to others as they have done to me. So in reflection, that verse is somewhat convicting. But Jesus seems to be unmistakable about what he asks us. There's narrow way people and there's broad way people. And another point. <clears throat> Jesus is clear that there's only two ways. One way is his way and the other is not. And there's no other way to life other than Jesus. It's the only way. In this country, at this time, in this culture, you might hear that there are a bunch of ways to life. But that's not biblical. There's only one way. And Jesus says, I don't want you to mistake this way for all these other ways. There's only one way. Now, I want to clarify that I'm not talking about, and I don't think the message here is, that you have to do all these perfectly. I just gave you an example of what I don't do, and there are others that I could tell you about me not doing perfectly. But it is about which way you've chosen in regard to who is it you want to rule over your life? Who is it that you're surrendering to? So the perfection misses the point. The surrendering and rule is the point. It's okay to struggle. <clears throat> There's going to be some growth. You don't have to be perfect. But don't Make the mistake by thinking there's another way. There's only one.
So again, he gets to this point and he says, it's time to make up your mind. So last week I gave you bloody knuckles. And so I'm going to have an image to leave with you if you want to take it with you or not for today. This is it. Just a country road. T. You get down to the end, and there's uh, two ways to go. One of them's going to take you to destination. The other's not. It's just a visual. About this road, you're going to come to this road that looks like this, theoretically, today. Because, see, there's not just one big crossroads. You have crossroads every day where you come to a T. You're going to have to choose the right way multiple times today. It might be with your treasure. It might be with anger. It might be with an enemy. It might be with uh, another relationship. It might be with how you can be best salt and light. But you've got a lot of crossroads ahead of you today, as do I. That one big turn has a lot of decisions that follow it. Another note. Once you make that decision to follow on the Jesus way, and again... Just for emphasis, there's Jesus' way and the wrong way. Once you make that decision and you're on that road, I think it's important to say that we're not all at the same point on the road. Some of us have traveled a little farther. Some of us are just inching along. Some of us are speeding through and then slow down and have hurdles. I don't have to be at the same spot that Bob Mann is on that road. We're all at different points. The question is, are you surrendering to Jesus? Did you decide to go that way? It's difficult. That's why the Broadway has so many on it. But there's only one way. And another note. You could just look around for a second. No one's on the road alone. The Spirit is with us. And we're all on this road. One of the reasons I think church is so important, I've said this to the students, is because someone might really need to see you today. Someone might really need to see you and hear from you today. I need you. We need each other at different times. But sometimes coming here, you're actually going to have an encounter with someone who comes here to be encouraged to stay on the road. And you do that when you come here. 
It doesn't mean every day is going to be that impactful and you might go home and think, well, you know, that was an okay day or whatever. Stay on the road. Someone's going to need you. And you're going to bless somebody because you're here. Because we're all on the road. We're not ever alone. Sometimes I'm going slow and I need you to come hook your arm in mine and take me along with you a little bit and help me give me a good word or say I'm going with you. Sometimes I need a little encouragement. Sometimes I need to theoretically slow down and go, hey, walk with me. There's just oh, so many images that we could get in our mind. But we're not alone on the road. But again, we get to the point and Jesus makes you or asks you to make a decision in that kitchen. I'm not equating here and uh, UPS is life and death, but there's going to be decisions all over the place today that support your ultimate decision of surrendering to him. That's the point of the passage. This is how I expect you to live. This is how a person who lives, lives if they're wanting life and not destruction. And their decisions every day. I don't know where your crossroads is going to be, but you'll have them. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. You don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. I love. Can you can you go back to the the little street that road that goes up in the mountains? <clears throat> yeah, I love that road. I want that road so much more than that highway. If anybody knows our family very well, or me very well, knows I love traveling. Some of my best memories have all just piled into a car and a van or whatever and just driving. I love that. I've had this dream, I've said sometime, of saying, I want to get in a car, I want to take a ruler, and I want to point it from College Station or Fort Worth at the time straight up. And I want to take a road that stays as close to that road, that line as I can, just to see what's out there. That's life to me. The only, in Jesus' words, the only way you can have life is take a road that's not traveled by many other people. According to him, most aren't going on that road. One more emphasis, point of emphasis. Again, I've said that if I'd gone to UPS in Nashville, I think it would have worked out wonderfully. Who knows? I wouldn't be here, I don't think. <clears throat> but I didn't. I went here. And so much good has happened from that. I think good could have come from the other way as well. But I want you to think about your life for a second and end with this. All of the things in your most intimate thought private moments when you're being the most honest with yourself everything you really 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 want is in jesus we can get thrown off and think there's other things we want and satan's great about making us think that's it and this is this and that'll give me life and this will give me life and he's throwing out roads go this way go this way this is really shiny this is good look all the street lights all the, there's clearly a lot down here but all that you really 
want in your most honest moments is only found in one way. And that's the way toward Jesus and toward life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to thank God for his word. I'm going to add in as a side note, but an important part of the prayer. I know we have some students who grew up in Franklin. And I know that it, I don't know much about the tornado or the scope of the, of the destruction that happened in Franklin. But we have people here who are in the AFC and probably other places that uh, have friends, relatives, or grew up in Franklin. We're going to add that as well. Thank you for being here today. I'll say something when I get done, and then we'll be done. So you bow with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instructions, the way that you uh, invite us in, but accompanying us, accompanying us all of the way. We're never alone. Help us to surrender in all of the little things, in all of the ways that we'll be... Uh, ask to decide today the path that either leads to life or leads to destruction. We want to make those decisions right. And we won't always, and we thank you that you forgive us. Man, do we thank you that you forgive us. Help us yearn and be drawn to you and make that be the biggest yearning that we have. We lift to you today uh, the community of Franklin. I'm sure there are other places as well. After the tornado, people whose lives have been turned upside down and facing a lot of difficult decisions. We know that no one loves those people better than you. And we take comfort that those people rest in your care and we ask you, on their behalf, to provide a peace in the, midst, in the midst of all of the wreckage that only you can provide. And perhaps use something like this to make people turn toward you, where life really dwells. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.